This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new Media Week podcast. Uh, today we're talking a little bit about the media agency sector, how they um, engage with the, uh, the media, they buy the media, how the media agency in turn sell it back to the media agencies, in particular the independent media agencies. Earlier this year in February we saw the launch of the Independent Media uh, Agency Association of Australia, IMAA. We've got um, our two guests today. We've got the uh, manager, Managing Director and Founder of PM and Media, who is also the Chairman and a Co-Founder of the IMAA, Dominic Pearman, and also representing the media agencies, if you like, and nine in particular, of course, is Michael Stevenson. Chief Sales Officer. Look, we'll kick off today with hear a little bit from uh, Dominic about the, the reasons behind the uh, IMAA and um, why why you started it up and the initial reaction. Okay, th- thanks, James. Um, I, I guess we uh, we went on a media junket back in um, May last year, and from that there was about twelve independents, and we realised that the independents are happy to talk to each other. Frankly, that's pretty much what it comes down to, and then. From there, we just thought it would be a good idea to form some sort of association. We weren't sure exactly what it would look like, but there were five of us initially who, who agreed to, to get together and form it. And, I mean, the, 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 I mean, the most simplistic way to describe it is we're here to fly the flag for, for independent agencies, um, media agencies. And it's been, um, uh, it's been accepted really well. There, there's been a lot of it's as if, you know, um, independence, uh, you know, sort of the, the flavour of the day. We've been getting lots of feedback. Um, we've getting pe- people approach us as well. Um, so it's, it's worked very well. We started with 20 members just before COVID and uh, we now have 31. We expect that to grow to, to 40 or 50. Um, well, yeah. Um, Michael, from your point of view, I guess you knew that smaller agencies or independents, if you like, together was a significant part of this, the industry, but it is good for you to have a body you can also chat to? Yeah, definitely. I mean, first I would start by saying um, not all of the independent agencies are small agencies. If I, you know, there's some, some big agencies with incredibly large clients and, you know, they play um, every day a more important role in our advertising ecosystem. Certainly, from Nine's perspective, and you know, Dom and I have had this conversation on many occasions, the independent agencies are our, our second largest source of advertising revenue. So um, they sit, you know, well and truly at the, at the core of our thinking. Um, and in actual fact, you know, we've just gone through um, the, 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 the final part of our sales transformation, which was largely centred around structuring our teams around our customers um, so for, for the very first time, we now have teams across the country in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Adelaide and Perth who are specifically focused on the independent agency sector uh, across all of our assets. You've done a good job at that anyway because, and I'm not just sort of saying that, but when the five of us formed and said, is this a good idea, who should we talk to, um, all five suggested Nine and Nova. So those are the two media companies we came to before the IMAA actually was formed. To, to get some feedback, so no, you, you're yeah, you, you're certainly you know sort of um, you know um, putting into action what you're saying, which is great. Yeah, I think what's really interesting about about 
all of the agencies, but you know, independence maybe because of their because of the the connectivity that they have directly to the clients. Um, you know, the outcomes are based on real business outcomes, and for us at Nine, it's really really interesting and important for us to to get closer to the outcomes of advertising. Um, what impact does the does the advertising that Dom or any of the other independents uh, buy from us across television, digital, radio, or publishing, and what impact? does that have on the, on the client's business? Did it help them launch a new product, a new variant? Did it help them enter into a new market? Uh, these things are, are, are critically important and, and form a big part of our overall strategy. Michael, you said then that the uh, independent agencies form the second biggest source of your income. Do you group together the multinationals as the biggest single source? No, if you think the way in which we've structured our, structured our team to, serve, to better service our, our customers and our clients is around um, the big five groups. Um, each of those obviously have their own aligned sales team in our structure, as does independence, and of course, as does the, the growing SME market. So we've created a, a team called Nine Plus, specifically focused around servicing, servicing that segment of the market so that we're able to adapt our product and our conversation and the way in which we would engage with, with customers relevant to their needs and requirements. And, um, and we've done that recently and so far so good, it's proven to be successful. The, um, tell me, do you think Dom is, I mean, it, since you launched, I mean, you weren't to know the impact COVID-19 would have on the sector, of course, but um, do you think it's been a good thing that you've been able to chat with your um, colleagues regarding the way that the market's changed and the, the impact on ad spend so far? Yeah, I, I think it's been a great thing. I think, um, you know, we've, uh, we've, we've put a bit of a buddy system uh, in place, so therefore we've rung, and not, not in an annoying way, but we've, we've rung other agencies um, uh, and um, it, it's, it's cathartic, I suppose, if that's the right word, just to, to talk about how things are going. And, and I know that from an independent um, so I, I personally think we're probably doing a bit tougher than multinationals. I, I, I don't know. I mean, Steve, I may have a better idea, but I, I, I've heard multinationals are down 20 to 30%, whereas um, the independents uh, are, are sort of over 50% of them are down 30% or more, like 30 to 50 or even over 50%. And we know that because we've done a survey um, recently um, to determine that. Steve, do you have any feeling for, for, you know, agencies and how much they're hurting? Oh, I think, you know, COVID-19's had an impact on, <clears throat> on all of us, on both our lives, on the economy. Um, certainly the ad market is not immune to, to any of those challenges. And I'm not sure it's specific to a multinational or to an independent or to one media owner versus the other. I, I think everybody has been impacted from a from an agency perspective, I guess it's to me it would be more based around the categories that you that you leverage to um, in terms of the impact that that would have on your ind individual business. If you think about you know the impact that COVID's had on travel or luxury goods or um, or retail, um, if you're highly leveraged to one of those categories, then it would have had a greater impact uh, than others. Of course, there are some categories that are still doing incredibly well, and and some brands and businesses within even categories that have been heavily impacted that are, that are, you know, more than surviving. In actual fact, they're flourishing as they continue to, to adapt their business or change their strategy 
or just or just by share of share a voice. Um, and what I love about that is, whilst there are so many change, so many things changing in our world, the fundamentals of advertising and the fundamentals of marketing have largely not changed. And that whole notion of you know share of voice equals share of market, I don't think could be any truer than it is right now. And there are some really excellent examples. You know, Harvey Norman and, and Nick Scarly more recently, I think, two, two, two big retailers that spring to mind that are advertising through this um, current situation, current environment, um, and they're turning to trusted sources of, of, of advertising there. Harvey Norman are buying, you know, lots of pages in our papers. They're advertising on radio. They're buying big campaigns on television. And um, who would have thought their business is growing and they're doing very well. But um, just you mentioned Harvey Norman. They haven't bought the um, any of your papers, have they? Because they, their presence is astonishing in the last few weeks. Oh, I think, you know, I don't think I'm speaking out of school. They Clearly, they're delivering results. Um, and again, it just goes back to that, one of the basics of marketing. It, share of voice equals share of market. And through difficult economic times, there will be brands that flourish and grow. Um, but to do that, you've got to invest in your brand and you've got to advertise. Um that will ensure that you're top of mind when customers come in and out of the marketplace, um, depending on which part of the cycle that they're in. And, um, and those, those, those effects and the impact that you have on consumers will last well beyond, um, you know, the impact that we're seeing from COVID-19. So I encourage, I encourage more people to do that. The industry is always saying, look, how important it is to monitor, you know, the, every dollar that's spent and every, um, every avenue we use to spend that money. We've, it's really got to work hard and it's more important every year. And, I, you know, this year even more so, I guess, through what we're going through. Um, I just wondered the impact of automated trading during this time and maybe first to you, Don, does that, does that come into play with you and your members much? Do you play in that field? Um, absolutely, yeah. I mean, if you if um, automated trading versus programmatic, because I think that's two different things, even though they tend to, to be seen well, as... Just one. give us that, uh, the, the difference between the two as well. What's that, sorry? The, give us the, the definition. Oh, programmatic programmatic's pretty much been born out of digital where you, 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 you place something and you get an action from it. And therefore, from that action, the computer can then, you know, if it's a click-through, can then basically you know, ensure your dollars are spent towards that. Automated um, is where it's more like a, um, you don't get a result, you don't necessarily get an action from it, um, but it's um, you know, like, like, like a, from, from you, you don't get a, like a click-through rate or anything like that. So in terms of programmatic outdoor, you know, to me it's automated. It's not programmatic because programmatic means you get an outcome and it's, and your spend is based on that outcome. Um, but I, I guess what I'd, I'd say that um, I, I assume that if companies are hurting, they tend to go down to um, you know, what we'd call the short-term objectives um, of sales and, and to a degree programmatic um, delivers that because that's the, you know, sort of, um, it's, it's seen as highly accountable. But I, I guess from a, sadly um, what what. Steve was talking about in terms of share of voice and, and share of spend, that's what builds a brand. Um, and that's what I'd be worrying about in terms of, you know, if clients just deliver all, you know, go towards the programmatic route, they're not actually building a brand. Um, and I think a building a brand will, will deliver more the, the longer term, you know, 
efforts of sales growth or you know, reduced price sensitivity um, or, or some sort of emotional connection. Um, yeah. So that's my only problem. Programmatic's great, but just yeah, you know, don't 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 drive towards it. That's all. Yeah. You got any thoughts there, Steve, about either? Uh, look, I just think. I mean, I think the f- the future of advertising is automated and addressable. Um, you know, hand buying, handheld transactions between buyer and seller are a thing of the past. Um, so all media ultimately will be bought in an automated transaction which effectively means using technology to replace that handheld um, process. Um, of course, the world will become more addressable as we continue to accelerate into a, into a completely digital world. And to have an addressable solution, you obviously need signed-in users or first-party data. And I think those two things, in, those two things are going to be critical for, for any media owner, media, media buyer relationship, and, of course, ultimately delivers better outcomes for clients. In terms of programmatic per se, I just think we've got to be a bit careful that we don't get too con- we don't confuse ourselves or confuse the market. Programmatic is just a means of transacting. Um, within programmatic, of course, you can buy in an auction-based environment, and I think that's that's kind of a, you know we have seen um, through COVID nineteen people move some money into those environments where the price is controlled, the delivery is guaranteed. Um, and of course, we're doing the same in a in a in a linear television or video on demand world through Nine Galaxy. Um, so it's not an auction based environment, but it certainly is a place where, through challenging times when we're all being asked to manage budgets and manage delivery, manage inflation, um, you know, for us, it's the, the fact that we invested in Galaxy all those years ago, which guarantees the outcome of your television buy allows you to buy TV and video on demand in one transaction, allows you to do it in a fully automated sense where there are no shortfalls, there's no make goods, there's none of those sort of old-fashioned elements. Um, And, of course, you buy TV and video on on demand together. I think, you know, that is a competitive advantage to us right now and hopefully for our customers and our clients and those that are advertising with us, it's helping them to manage any inflation that might exist in the market. Dom, you've been in the uh, media buying business for a while. You used to just, um, I suppose you used to make phone calls in the old days to buy spots on Channel 9. Um, the suite of assets now in, inside the Nine Entertainment Group has grown really significantly in the last couple of years alone. Um, what sort of a job have they done to make it easier for you to, to buy across the group? Um, well, they've done a great job, personally. Um, you know, we, and again, going back to that survey that we've done of the IAA members, and Steve-O doesn't know this, but interestingly enough, Nine's come out the best media in terms of relationships and service and innovation of Nine TV. So um, he'll, be, he'll be told that later this week. <laughs> there you go. There's, there's an insight. Um, so, so we've surveyed 117 members, um, and um, that's the general feeling. So it's not just... My point of view, and as I said, you know, when we first started the IMAA, we approached you know, Nine and Nova. Um, so they've done a good job in terms of relationships. Um, and and I, although I absolutely agree, Steve, that addressable media and automated is all important, to me, relationships is, is the bottom line because we're only going to buy off people we, we like and respect. Um, and I've seen it over and over again, um, different media, get a greater share of the budget when the relationship's strong because what a relationship does is it gives the media the last chance to lose the business. 
Because as a media buyer, you tend to go back to the media and go, here's what you have to do to get, get, get this. Uh, in terms of you know, um, the suite of assets, I guess we don't, well, personally, we, we don't um, buy across the suite. We'll, we'll judge each one. So we'll judge print on its, on its merits. We'll judge radio on its merits or TV. So to me, grouping these all together doesn't necessarily mean we're going to buy across you know, the, um, you know, the various media. I think it's great for Nine because they can cross-promote um, across all the media. Um, but, yeah, basically I think they've done, a, done a, a very good job. I know from an internal perspective um, that they're telling their staff to, to stay modest. Um, they, I think they've got a great culture um, and they've, um, yeah, they've, they've put systems and processes in place. So, you know, I virtually want to say it's the vibe without sort of, um, you know, going overboard. <laughs> it's um, that they've done a good job. And, you know, I, I think that's genuine from, you know, um, not just from me, but from a lot of our members. Yes, Steve, did you, your last comment did seem to say that relationships don't, won't really count much into the future. Oh, no, far from it. It's the most important thing that we have. It's, you know, for any of the, the, the people that work in our team, if you asked any of them, the thing that I focus most on is, is our people. Um, with that, those guys, we, we have nothing. Um, automation and address automation allows us to hopefully take the manual process out of processing advertising bookings, which hopefully frees our teams up to spend more time with clients, more time with, more time with agencies and concentrating on the things that I think fundamentally make, make a difference. Um, it's great to get that feedback from, from Dom and, and from the association. Sounds like you've paid me, Steve, though. <laughs> <laughs> we did it, follow hundreds over the record. Um, but humility and integrity are really important to us at Nine. It's, um, we, we focus on doing the right thing and, and being good people and, and going above and beyond for our, for our clients and our partners. And we're far from perfect. We don't get it right every time. Hopefully we get it right more than we, more than we don't. And that's kind of, that's culturally, that's where we've sort of centred ourselves. From a product perspective, you know, of course, last 18 months for us have been crazy um, to bring Nine and Fairfax together and I think do it in the way in which we did um, is something that we're all really proud of at Nine and, of course, more recently with Macquarie Radio. They are big transformation projects uh, with, with, cult, with cultures that are just diverse and um, we've brought those groups together and we're becoming one Nine and, of course, in Sydney when we move into one Denison Street, Literally, the first guys start moving in next week. I think we'll have a campus where you know creativity is at the core and content creation are the foundations, and that we're really, really excited about it. It allows us to bring television, digital, publishing, and radio together when it makes sense. And to Dom's to Dom's point, you know, the way we are structured in a fully integrated model now, but we talk openly and often about if it makes sense to come together, come together, and if it makes sense to stay apart, stay apart. Um, just because we own things doesn't mean they always need to work together. And in actual fact, often um, the best solution for an advertiser will be an asset that isn't owned by nine, um, but in combination we can be better together. And so, you know, we, we often do and are open to working with anybody um, to deliver the best solution for a client that helps them grow their business. That's, that's what we're here to do. So, steve I imagine um, taking over uh, Macquarie, must have been a really interesting exercise because although you've, you've had egos to deal with on TV, 
they're probably nothing like, you know, sort of um, at, at a, a talkback radio station whereby, you know, I guess when Singleton owned it, you know, sort of um, it, people probably got a lot, got, got away a lot more with, um, 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 you know, with politics internally, but I, but I imagine that's, you know, um, that would have been a tough thing I can, I can only expect, you know, or think, think it would be. Um, well, yes and no. I mean, the, the, what my first, my first sort of perception as I walked into, into Macquarie now, now as we know at Nine Radio was just how connected everybody was. Um, and, you know, amazing talent, completely connected to our clients and our customers. And, um, and it, was, it was an unbelievable thing to see. But at the same time, you know, Nine Radio is a part of the broader Nine group, but it had to evolve um, as we move into as we move into a new world where we're trying to create marketing platforms for brands. And so, if you think about the evolution of our business um, to a content data and technology company, we had to we we brought the Nine Radio business in and and executed that strategy across across those assets. Macquarie wasn't. I was going to say Macquarie wasn't in a great shape, was it, when you guys eventually bought 100%? Because just looking at SMI data, you know, um, you know, it was, you know, I think in 2019, the revenue was down 15%, whilst the market was down 4%. Um, whereas 2018, Macquarie's revenue was up 6.8, while the market was down 3.7. So there, there are obviously you know, structural things internally that you guys had to fix. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you think back to the way in which we're now structured around major agencies, independence, and and the SME market, that's the way, and that's where our focus is for for radio. And it'd be fair to say that the Macquarie team historically was highly leveraged to the SME market and less leveraged to the to the major multinational agencies. Of course, that's one of the benefits of bringing the company into the Nine Group because we're obviously very experienced with with all of those customers and. Um, we have a large sales team and experienced people who can help position uh, radio in the minds of our advertisers um, alongside Nine's other assets. And those two things together can be incredibly powerful. But we had a lot of work to do. And Tom Malone's doing an unbelievable job. You've seen, obviously, all of the press releases that have come out over the last couple of months. Um, a lot of new talent, a lot of new content. Um, the, uh, the integration of their data into Nine's data asset so we can utilise our 13 million signed-in users across uh, radio as well as we do across the broader Nine ecosystem. We're building out Nine Galaxy for radio to make sure that our sales teams have world-class technology um, and we're fast-tracking all of those changes. And as a result of doing that, you know, will our revenue share grow, as you just mentioned? Um, I hope so. But it's not the objective. That'll be the outcome. The objective is what role does radio play in a campaign that we might create uh, with a particular advertiser? Can we help an advertiser unlock that valuable 40-plus audience that we're so dominant in and help create marketing platforms for brands to help grow their business? If we can do that, radio will play a role and Nine Radio will do well. That's, that's about as complex as it is. Steve, could I just talk about TV a little bit too because it was good hearing you talking about the, the radio and the, how that's fitting into the business. Um, I mean, Nine's done a great job in diversifying its income streams over the last couple of years. I gather um, television is still the lion's share of it. You had a pretty sensational 2019 
I think it's probably fair to say the competition's a little bit keener this year. Um, they're not going to let you maybe dominate this year like you did last year. Could you just talk, talk a bit about that? In my very humble way, <laughs> um, I kind of disagree with your comment. So, you know, a, a, a very a, a strong, vibrant television market is great. And, of course, television as we see it today is not just live linear. It's live, it's live streaming, it's on demand. And how you think about those things um, in combination, in an aggregate, I think is the future of a video. But if you just look at linear television in isolation for a moment, you know, I, what we have done over the last three or four years is built an amazing platform from the 1st of January through till the 31st of December. So the Australian Open into Married, into, into The Voice, into Ninja, into Lego Masters, into The Block, um, all about drama and news and current affairs, the NRL, um, of course, State of Origin in November this year. We've got this amazing slate of Australian content. And that's why, you know, whilst... You know, I think some of the other guys might be crowing a little early, as I see it, because um, we sit here in the middle of the year. We're a 39 share of every demo. We're 11 or 12 points ahead of 10 against every demo, six or seven points ahead of, um, of seven in every demographic. So we are the dominant number one player. Um, but that's not that interesting to advertisers, to be totally honest. Um, yes, they want someone who's strong, but most of all, they want the consistency of our audience, the ability to build reach using our audience, the ability to integrate their brands into and around our content, which is what I think we do better than anybody else. And, you know, whilst we do compete in the TV market and we will compete fiercely in that market, I don't spend that much time thinking about 7 and 10 every day. It's... There's much, there are bigger markets for us to explore in terms of the social video market and it's how do we continue to you know, grow our business by finding all of the demand sources is kind of where our focus is. Um, but at the very core of everything we do is building um, big ideas for brands and helping them connect with their customers to help them sell more stuff. And, um, and with that, you need consistent audiences delivered across the entire year and that's what you get when you buy nine. Actually, Steve-O, um, that reminds me, at an upfront was either two or three years ago, um, you were sort of the first to come out swinging against the unnamed digital players, um, which, which actually I think most people probably cheered because not, not, not because we've got anything against digital players, but just um, it was as if you left them to their own devices and now you're starting to compete with them. Uh, and obviously what you guys have built with the assets there um, you can well and truly compete. Yeah, I, you know, and don't get me wrong, there's a, there's a very important place in the marketing and advertising ecosystem for social video. There, there, there is, it plays a role. My argument, I guess, at that upfront that you refer to is like, let's just make sure it plays the right role. And over the course of the last, you know, five years, a significant amount of money has been moved out of um, the television market, if you like, into social video. Um, and we, you know, what we launched that upfronts was um, a cost per completed view model so that people could buy our video on the same basis and compare it to social video. And when you, when you look at it through that lens, you'll see that some of the claims that have been made are not entirely true. So did, so, you, did, you, did you come up with the 
at nine, we believe an ad that is seen is more effective than one that isn't. <laughs> I, know, I know it's a bit of an old-fashioned comment, I get, but very, very true. If you see it, it's valuable. If you don't see it, you shouldn't pay for it. I don't think there's anything unreal about that. No, it's perfect. Yeah. What, I, what I would say, though, is so that was, that was uh, at our upfronts last year, so nearly 12 months ago. I thought um, it was the year before. It was last year, was it? Okay. Yeah. So I... You know, have we been successful in, in the eyes of advertisers? Does, do advertisers see us now sitting alongside Facebook and Google as well as they see us sitting alongside 7, 10, News Corp, ARN, et cetera? I don't think we've been that successful in doing that yet. There's, there's still a way to go to, um, to navigate ourselves into that other market, but it's definitely our focus. And it means you've got to have a data asset that can compete. And you've got to have technology to compete. And every day we're investing more and more in those assets. Um, I, I wanted to mention um, news, uh, Michael, and I don't want to get into an argument about the size of TV audiences, but, but news on linear TV is one of the areas where audiences are holding up very well. It's still a big, big audiences at 6 o'clock and we've seen this year lots of additional news programs and, that, and they've all performed very well too. But in new digital, digital delivery of news, you're a bigger player now there since you launched at uh, ninenews.com.au. And in those, those um, charts that Nielsen release of the big audiences that go to the uh, digital news publishers, we've seen some big movements in audiences there this year. Uh, more publishers are getting bigger audiences. More publishers have broken that, um, that um, a million unique uh, users a month. Does that impact on revenues, those sort of movements? And how's Nine competing in that space? Yeah, I mean, in a digital, in a pure digital world, if you just move out of the BVOD market for a second because that operates in a slightly different metric. But, yeah, the, the bigger the audience, the better your ability to monetize that audience is. And um, there's a fairly linear relationship between the two. Of course, we're lucky enough that we have, we have Nine.com.au and within that uh, Nine.news.com.au, but right alongside that um, is obviously the smh.com.au, the age.com.au, the AFR. So we are heavily invested in, um, in the news sector, heavily invested in, uh, in journalism and quality Australian journalism. And again, I, you know, I think we've all seen, I think we've all, as consumers, we've done this. We've, when we wanted information through this COVID experience, we've turned to trusted news sources. And those sources are 7, 9, 10, News Corp, uh, the SMH, um, the Age, the Fin Review, those trusted sources of news and quality journalism. And that's where we've gone to get the information that we need. You know, the, and then therefore, obviously, in the seat that I have, um, our job then is to monetize those audiences as, they, as, as we see them. The, um, I wanted to talk about your thoughts, get thoughts of both of you. Maybe start with you, Dom. Your, your feelings about the back half of our calendar 2020. Um, I know it's probably re it's really hard thing to predict. We've seen a bit of a resurgence of COVID in some places and hopefully that won't impact things too much. But are you confident about the sort of um, about sectors recovering and, I mean, things like travel starting up again and... and um, and will, will there be a, a renewed sort of focus on retail at the end of this year too? It seems like it could be a very important Christmas for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess caution is probably the word which you'd use. Um, I mean, just from our own personal point of view, we were 70% down in April. 
Um, but then we've we've improved quite a, quite a fair bit in May and June. Um, if you look at the you know what makes the market up, you've got auto, retail, and travel, which pretty much make up close to thirty percent of all spend. Um, and they're, they're sort of um, you can't really see too much comeback um, uh, in the second half of all those categories to one extent or the other. So retails you know, was flat in 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 twenty or twenty nineteen and, and it had like a two point seven percent rise, which was its lowest since twenty eleven. And then you've got Deloitte forecasting the worst on record. Um, with a 1.4% drop. That's what the Deloitte forecast is for next year. Um, so, so retail, you know, looks difficult. Um, auto, there's a thing called VFAX, which, is, you know, sort of um, gives um, sales of cars. And uh, in April, there are 49% down of new, new sales in cars. And in May, it's been 35% down. Um, and then, well, travel, you know, my brother's a travel agent, so I have some idea it's non-existent. Um, and, and you, know, you just got to read the papers to, to sort of, um, or the websites <laughs> to, to actually see that um, you know, they're not talking about opening up the borders anytime soon, certainly for international uh, travel. So that then gives us in October, because um, you know, it'd be good to try and get through this whole podcast without mentioning the cliff word, but in October they're, they're sort of supposedly forecasting that you know, so JobKeeper is going to be turned off. Um, Interestingly enough, we get a the, the deferred federal budget comes out on, on October, um, uh, and then you've got like today's front page of the Australian. You know, talks about what a mess you know, sort of China's in. So I'm actually quite a you know um, a sort of optimistic person, and the glass half full, and all that. And I think you have to run your own business, but you know, I, I guess. I'd, I'd just be cautious. You know, I mean, we we personally are actually not a bad place. We put a few things in place late last year, which meant that we're getting through this much better than I thought we would. But I would, I, I don't see it all coming back in, you know, sort of suddenly, you know, sort of in, in Christmas uh, this year. Um, but, but, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful for that way. Yeah. Stephen? Oh, I mean, I'm, I am eternally optimistic as a person, but I've already echoed some of Dom's comments in that I think, for the back next six months, we should be uh, cautiously optimistic. But I do think you are already seeing signs of improvement. And, you know, I think because, because we have exposure to so many parts of the advertising ecosystem, television, digital, publishing, radio, we kind of, we're a bit of a lead indicator. So we had, the, we felt the impact probably before many others. Um, and, and, but you, st- you see the recovery earlier as well. And I think, you know, the, the, the June quarter will be by far the worst that we see. Um, I think there's improvement into September and an improvement again into the December quarter. Um, the recovery will take us a while. There's no doubt about that. But within that, there's just enormous opportunity for people because even within some of those categories that Dom just mentioned, you know, think about uh, retail or automotive or, or travel. Um, there are brands and businesses within those categories who are taking the opportunity to pivot and find new opportunity. And that's the way I think people need to be thinking about these sort of things because there are companies within all of those categories, some of which have been hardest hit, who are growing their business and doing extremely well. And um, so I think, you know, people should, we should be careful about, um, you know, creating a self-fulfilling prophecy that says things are challenging right now and they won't recover for some time well beyond, um, you know, far well into the future. 
because I think if people are willing to be innovative and entrepreneurial and have a go and try to do things differently, you can be really, really successful. And I think Christmas is going to be an unbelievable period because some people will take that opportunity. Um, and you're already seeing, I mean, if you've, you know, you, you just have to go into one of the shopping centres and you see the amount of people and what and people are spending. People are starting to buy again. People have got pent up. There's pent up demand. Certainly happening in my house. <laughs> uh, the shopping bags coming in all the time. Um, and I think that's a, a big opportunity. And of course, for us at nine, uh, we've got a massive end to the back, uh, an end to the year with uh, obviously State of Origin in November. There's no better platform for a brand, I think, to launch their Christmas campaign than than the three biggest um, events of the year all happening in one month. Just quickly, I wanted to finish up. I thought I'd just have a quick look at sport. It's a category that's sort of come back with the, the football coach starting up in the NRL and the AFL. Um, it, it struck me as a consumer from my point of view, I, I didn't realise how I missed it until it was actually gone. Um, and now when you watch it, I have a fresh appreciation for 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 the enjoyment I get as a consumer, but also what it must mean to advertisers. Um, it strikes me, Dom, as if it was, is it a hard category to buy around when it's not there to, to reach the same sort of people? Um, well, probably, yes. It, it, it's hard to reach the, the, the masses that something like, you know, sort of sport gives us. Um, and when I say masses, it's different from masses from 30, 40 years ago. <laughs> but, but it's still, like, and that's what sport delivers. It delivers a, uh, an audience um, at scale which um, you know, is lacking these days because obviously you know, such fragmentation across all the media um, and, and, yeah, we've seen it. We've, we've, we've seen since the NRL and AFL Come on, come back! Um, you know they've had big, big spikes in audience, which has been great. Yeah. And, and clients, I think, probably are then possibly more prepared to pay a little bit extra on the cost per thousand if they know the audience is going to be there. Yeah, Steve, are you getting any feedback from from people saying, "Well, this is really great to have this back"? Because yeah, like we've had so so much feedback about that because sports for me, I mean, sport is a part of Australian life. Um, for me, it's about how sport makes you feel. Um, and, you know, we all, we're all waiting in anticipation for the first NRL game. The AFL is back now. The Premier League football is back. There's all of these things are happening. And sport makes you feel something. And, that's a, and it's, a, it's a highly engaged environment. It's very valuable for advertisers. But I kind of felt, I felt, I really felt a mood swing. Where after that first NRL game, there was this pent-up sort of anticipation for that game. Um, and when it happened, it kind of, it felt like it was a, it, the, the, the mood of the country changed. It was, um, it felt like a turning point. It felt like, okay, normality is starting to return, albeit one step at a time. Um, and as a result of that, I think it's a great place for brands to be and highly engaged audience. And um, the numbers are looking for, across all codes have looked amazing since they all returned. Yeah, they have been very, very strong numbers. Look, that's sort of um, out of time there, guys, but um, great uh, great to get you both online today. Um, Dom Pierman um, from Pierman Media and the uh, Independent Media Agencies of Australia and uh, Michael Stevenson, of course, Chief Sales Officer at Nine. Thanks, both of you. Great. Thanks, James. Appreciate Thank it. You, guys.